0: Newsletter, it's out. The February newsletter is out. If you didn't receive a copy by email, uh, let us know. Uh, There are also physical copies outside the church office door, uh, and I want to um, especially draw your attention to Mark's um, article. It's really good. Um, Exodus chapter 2, we are continuing our series on Exodus. We'll be taking this in chunks. Um, We have here a story that we know well. It's the story of the birth of Moses. There's a lot going on here. So let's ask the Lord to help us to understand. Lord, help us. Help us to understand your word. I pray that by your spirit, you would give us insights into this text. And that it would change us. That you would change us through it. We pray, Lord, that you would bless the hearer and the preacher alike with anointing of the spirit. pray all these things in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Hear now the word of the Lord. Now a man from the house of Levi went and took as his wife a Levite woman. The woman conceived and bore a son. And when she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him three months. And when she could hide him no longer, she took for him a basket made of bulrushes and dabbed it with bitumen and pitch. She put the child in it and placed it among the reeds by the riverbank. And his sister stood at a distance to know what would be done to him. Now the daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe at the river, while her young women walked beside the river. She saw the basket among the reeds, and she sent her servant woman, and she took it. When she opened it, she saw the child, and behold, the child was crying. She took pity on him and said, This is one of the Hebrew's children. Then his sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and call you a nurse from the Hebrew women to nurse the child for you? And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Go. So the Girl went and called the child's mother, and Pharaoh's daughter said to her, "Take this child away and nurse him for me, and I will give you your wages." So the woman took the child and nursed him. When the child grew up, she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. She named him Moses, because she said, "I drew him out of the water." The grass withers, the flowers fade; the word of our God shall indeed stand forever. Our text this morning is about God bringing deliverance and freedom. God, in His loving care for His people, perfectly orchestrates and ordains the events in these first ten verses of chapter 2 of Exodus to provide deliverance for Moses and to the Israelites. All of which points us to our deliverance and our redemption that we have in Christ Jesus. It's about deliverance and freedom. Are you experiencing, have you experienced deliverance and freedom in your own life? If you're in Christ Jesus, just because it is yours in Him, it doesn't mean that you're automatically experiencing that freedom. Are you experiencing freedom in your life? The Lord has come to set us free. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not resubmit yourselves to the yoke of slavery. There's so many things that we can live in bondage to. From falling into certain sins, to the record of our sins in the past, we can live in bondage to those even though we've been freed of those things. or perhaps things done to us in the past or even in the present. We can live in bondage to the law and trying to earn God's love even though it doesn't work like that. God has sent us deliverance. He sent His Son to free us. And he calls us to live in freedom. But in order for us to be set free, there must be a deliverer, a redeemer, a savior. And in this text, we see that Moses is going to be delivered by God through Pharaoh's daughter. Moses will be used by God to deliver God's people. And ultimately, we're going to talk, of course, about Jesus, who came to deliver us and bring us freedom. Moses' story is a unique one. We've heard it maybe read about it and read to our children in the Jesus Storybook Bible or whichever one you use What well, this great story. But there are many elements that, that I've always had questions about, and perhaps you have too. So let's, let's look at this more closely. We find that a young man, he's not named here, but he is later in chapter 6, verse 20, Amron falls in love with a sweet little Levite girl whose name is Jochebed. Um, we learned that later as well. They fall in love and they get married. They are both from a Levite background, which will become later important in the book of Exodus because two of their children, Moses and Aaron, will serve as spiritual leaders for God's people. And their line needed to be from the line of Levi. These two lovebirds have children. We find out later that the oldest is a daughter, Miriam. Miriam who appears in our text today and will play a very important role in the rest of Exodus. And then comes Aaron, who is three years older than Moses, which is important because at this point, Pharaoh is trying to kill all the baby boys. But Aaron had been born a little earlier and he had escaped from that attempted genocide. But then they had another baby. And my friends, it was a bad time to have children You'll remember last week that Moses had told all the midwives, go and when you deliver a Hebrew child, make sure you kill it if it is a male. And if it's a female, if it's a baby girl, if it's a daughter, let it live. And it's understood that the girls will become slave wives in the future for uh, the Egyptians. But then that didn't work. The midwives didn't obey. And so in verse 22 of chapter 1, the very last verse, we see Pharaoh enlisting all Egyptians as informers... And as those who are called to take any infant um, male Hebrew and throw him into the River Nile in order to kill him. And so with great joy, Jochebed would have been pregnant and expecting. Every pregnancy is a gift from Jesus. But with great fear, too. What would happen? Moses is born, and the, apparently if the midwife was present, the midwife disobeyed Pharaoh again. And for three months, Jochebed and Amron, Moses' parents, hid little baby Moses. We find them mentioned, by the way, in that great hall of faith in, uh, in, in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 26. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful. And they were not afraid of the king's edict. had looked upon her baby son, later to be named Moses, and he was a precious child. You know, when we had children, my wife made me promise that I would lie to her if, uh, if our children were not cute. <laughs> uh, now, praise the Lord, I didn't have to lie, because our, our children are very cute. Um, Moses was a cute little boy. And so she hit him. She protected. She did not obey Pharaoh. And so for the first three months, it worked okay. Always in fear. What if someone heard his cries? But for a while, just like a new infant child can be um, calmed by rocking and feeding, soon the child began to grow. And at three months, it just wasn't possible to hide him any longer. So what did she do? Well, she took a basket made out of bulrushes or papyrus reeds. A sturdy one, no doubt. It would have been a very similar to a, uh, um, a basket you would find in the marketplace that would be full of goods to sell. Now, the Hebrew actually says it's an ark. It's the only other place in Scripture outside of the account of Noah that the ark, an ark of this kind is referenced. And just as Noah was delivered by an ark in the waters, so too Moses will be delivered by an ark... In the waters of the Nile. And she takes it and she, she puts uh, tar, bitumen, which is asphalt, around it to make it watertight. And she takes her precious child with tears flowing from her eyes into the ark, into the basket, and takes him and puts him on the edge of the river Nile, amongst all the reeds, in the, in the middle, so he'd be hidden, and by the water, so he wouldn't be heard, and in a remote place, so he wouldn't be found. But what's going on here? Is she abandoning her child? Is this exposure by which you just place children out in in the the elements and they will die? I don't think so. First of all, there are no good answers when a tyrant like Pharaoh is up and running. There, There just aren't easy answers. But I think what's going on here is this is the hiding place for Moses when the Egyptians come around. This is where she will put Moses when the informers are in her house. And we even see she sends Miriam to go and to to watch the child to see what would happen to it. In a remote place, amongst the reeds, the, the waters of the Nile, the sound hopefully crowding out the sounds of Moses crying. And so there is Miriam one day watching baby Moses in the basket. Lo and behold to her horror, who shows up? Pharaoh's daughter. Of all the people that would show up, not just an Egyptian, but one of the royal family, one of the 60-some-odd daughters of Pharaoh. To her horror, she wades into the water to bathe. Near, near Moses. And And not just that, she's not alone. She's with other servants. They're everywhere. They're on the banks. They've got Moses surrounded Surely this is it. Surely Pharaoh's daughter would obey the decree of Pharaoh to take any infant Hebrew son and throw him into the Nile. But it was no accident that this daughter was in this place at this time. God doesn't work by coincidences. They don't happen. God has ordained whatsoever shall come to pass, including this, for the good of God's people and the good of us. So there is Pharaoh's daughter and she looks over and there's this basket. What in the world is a market basket doing covered in pitch and asphalt in the river? So she sends forth one of her servants and says, go grab that for me. Maybe she heard the cry. We don't know. And as she opened up the basket, she saw, she looked and she saw the child. And what did she do? She had pity. The Hebrew word here meaning not just to feel sorry for but to feel sorry for and to act. She saw how often does God see and act. Here is Moses' deliverer, sent by the Lord God Almighty. She has pity, and instead of having a heart like her father, she takes, instead of putting the child back into the Nile, she takes the child out of the Nile and delivers him. And there's Miriam. Can you imagine the guts of Miriam? 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, somewhere around there. And here is Pharaoh's daughter. No one speaks to royalty unless you're spoken to. And she rushes up. She hurries. And she says, hey, would you like me to find a Hebrew woman to be the wet nurse of this child? And Pharaoh's daughter says, yes, go. Well, of course, Miriam's thinking of one Hebrew wet nurse, in particular her mother. And so she runs. And can you imagine the first response of Moses' mother, Jochebed? Who's there? No, it's all right, Mom. It's all right. Moses is safe. And she's looking for someone to care for him. So, so you can imagine the, the joy, the, that weight of the future of her son off of her shoulders. Her, 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 his, his future is guaranteed at this point. What joy she must have had as she ran to see Pharaoh's daughter. This, by the way, is what happens when we feel the weight of sin coming off of us. We respond with Joy. When we've been delivered. Do you remember that when you became a believer? Or do you remember that when you finally opened up about some secret? Surely you've done that. Or, or you finally come clean with your husband or wife about something you've done. What joy there is. She runs and of course orchestrated by the Lord, Pharaoh's daughter, then hires Moses' own mother to care for him. Praise God! And so... For the next three or four years, that's how long children would nurse at that point. The next three or four years, Jochebed takes care of her own son. And what a hard day it must have been that she took baby Moses, or not so baby Moses, three or four-year-old baby Moses to Pharaoh's daughter when he was adopted by her. They might have seen each other. Aaron and Moses recognize each other when they finally meet in the wilderness later. There seems to be an interaction between the families. But how hard that would have been, but how much better than it could have been. Well, i said that this text was about deliverance and freedom. And it's more than just about Moses' freedom. Moses' freedom and deliverance here serves as the framework for Israel's deliverance and finally to ours. So I want to look at each one of them in our time that remains. The first, we see that Moses is redeemed. He is delivered from the false and fake God of the river Nile. Now, um, unlike Murder Creek, which is nice, the the Nile was the lifeblood of Egypt. It was the reason why people went to Egypt during famine because the the Nile would overflow its banks and the silt would cover the land and it would be very rich farmland and then it would go back to its banks every year and that would provide great um, irrigation as well as rich soil to provide food. And as such, they looked at the river as a god. It was not just a river, it was a God river. A false, fake God river, whose name, I don't know how you say this, either Hopi or Happy, H-A-P-I. Now here's the thing, here is Moses, metaphorically speaking, in the grips. In his bitumen and tar basket, in the grips of the false, fake God of Hopi. And what happens? He is delivered out of it. He is delivered out of the grips of a false and fake fake God. Keep this in mind as we keep going. But secondly, he is delivered from the peril of death. You know, um, the the waters of the the river Nile aren't really what you have to worry about, it's the crocodiles. There were lots of crocodiles and still are in the Nile. In fact, uh, Pharaoh's daughter, I I wonder if the reason why none of the servants came into the water with her is they said, Ma'am, you're crazy. He was in the peril of death. And when Moses is plucked out of the river, he is plucked out of certain death. We can say symbolically that he is delivered from bondage inside his little basket. When Pharaoh's daughter opened the lid, the fresh air and the sunlight hitting him, he was free. But finally, and most, first and foremost, he was cut off from his family. He'd been cut off from his family. This was a precarious place he was in, and there's no telling if this would have worked for long. He was cut off from his family. He was delivered. And God sent a deliverer, Pharaoh's daughter, a rather unexpected one. And just like we'll see with Moses, according to Exodus 3, he didn't want to go. He can't speak. He's afraid. God would send him, an unexpected deliverer. And then, of course, how would he deliver us? In an unexpected way. The Son of God, the second person of the Trinity, would come and dwell with us in flesh. Born in a manger. Where we look for salvation, certainly not a, a stable outside the small town of Bethlehem. Moses is delivered, but it's getting good. Because now we see how his deliverance points us to the deliverance of Israel. See, they too, when they were led out of the Promised Land, they were freed from the grips of a fake and false god whose name was Pharaoh. He was self styled uh, a deity. He was the sun, son, S O N, of the S U N, sun god Ra. And he thought he had the power of life and death. He thought he could control what happened to the Hebrews. But what happened when God sent those plagues? What did he do? He killed Pharaoh's son so that he could deliver his son, Israel. They were redeemed and delivered out of the grips of the false and fake God of Pharaoh. They too, just like Moses, were freed and delivered from the peril of death. This was not a good time to be a, an Israelite in Egypt. Affliction and hard work, making bricks without straw. Oftentimes in the brick making process, we'll talk about this in chapters to come, people died. Because the kilns got so hot and often would crumble. This was a very hard thing. They were delivered from death so that they might live, might live in God's land, believing in their God, the true God, to spread God's kingdom. They're, they're quite literally delivered from bondage. Y'all, there were hundreds of thousands of Hebrews at this point, And they were all enslaved. None of them had freedom. But God would send forth Moses and Aaron to deliver his people out of bondage. And they were cut off from God. They were supposed to be in the promised land serving their God, but they couldn't serve him as they were called to in Egypt. They were cut off and, and soon they would be delivered out of the land of Egypt, the land of slavery, to go where? To Mount Sinai where they are going to have a family meeting. And God was going to say, I'm going to be your God and you're going to be my people. And this is going to be how our relationship's going to work. But all this, of course, points us to how we've been delivered. We've been delivered. Y'all, we have been delivered from the grips of the kingdom of darkness, of Satan's grips. Whereas Moses was delivered from the false and fake God of the Nile while God's people were delivered from the fake and false God of Pharaoh, we have been delivered from Satan and his grips. This isn't fake and it's not false. Ephesians 2 tells us that we were dead in our trespasses and sins in which we once walked, following the course of the world, following the prince, the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work and the sons of disobedience. We were dead spiritually and following Satan. And therefore, we had no power to say no to him. We had no power over our flesh. We had no power to say no to temptation, say no to sin. But then something amazing happened. God raised up a deliverer so that we might be set free, so that we might have freedom. Colossians 1, 13 and 14. God has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Did you know that you've been freed from the bondage? The bondage of tyranny to Satan It's great news. Christ accomplished this in the wilderness when he withstood the devil's best work. And he ultimately defeated, defeated Satan on the cross. And now because of that we can stand strong in the power of the Lord's might. And say no. Say no to the evil one. When Satan throws up before your mind your old track record of sin. When he reminds you of your failures. When he makes you wonder if you're really loved. And makes you think you're still in bondage. My friends... You can tell them you have no business here and rebuke them in the name of Jesus. We've been delivered from the peril of death. Moses faced death by crocodile. Israel faced death uh, at the hand of their taskmasters. Y'all, we face death of hell. Moses might have gotten eaten by a crocodile, we don't know. Many of Israel might have died, but not all. But all will die, the spiritual death of hell, unless they are redeemed. You you remember John 3.16, this word perish? We, we, We skim over it, I think, often. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believeth in Him should not perish. Go to hell, but have everlasting life. God has made us alive together with Christ. We were dead. We've been delivered, my friends. We've been set free. We've been given life. Just like the, the Israelites were set free so they go and live and serve their God in the land, so too we have been set free and given life so that we might live for God and enjoy Him forever. Do you know this freedom in your life? If you are in Christ, you have been set free. Are you experiencing that freedom? If you're in Christ, you have received that life. And this is a testimony that God has given us eternal life. And this life is from the Son. And whoever has a Son has life, but whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. 1 John 5 11 through 12. We have been also set free from bondage to sin. There was a point before we were saved that we could not say no to sin, that we were under not only the tyranny of Satan, but also temptation in our flesh. But this has changed. This has changed. Christ has set us free from our sin. And my friends, because the Holy Spirit now dwells within us, we can say no to sin. We are no longer in bondage to it. Hebrews 12:1, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight in sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. What fetters... What weights, what burdens, what sins are clinging so closely? They are keeping you from experiencing the freedom you have in Christ and are slowing you down, inhibiting your race with the Lord Jesus. You have been set free. In what areas have we gone back to our bondage? When the Israelites left Egypt, things got tough. And you know what they said? They said, Moses, was it because there were not enough graves in Egypt that you brought us out here? They wanted to go back. And how often, too, do we go back to our old ways? We who are freed, how often do we long for our days of slavery where things were comfortable and things were known? But God doesn't call us to live like that. For freedom you have been set free. The biggest thing is that we were cut off from God. We were cut off from God. Moses was cut off from his family. Israel was cut off from the land of promise. We were cut off from God. We were not in good relationship to Him. But Ephesians 2.13, But now in Christ Jesus, you who are far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. We who are far off and had nothing to do with the Lord, we have been brought near and redeemed and saved and adopted and justified. We have been declared righteous. We are accepted because of what Christ has done for us. And now we get to call our God, our Abba, our Daddy, our Papa, our Father. Now we who are struggling to stay free. Are you struggling to stay free? It's a daily fight, isn't it? Not to, not to do just what everybody else is doing. Not to go into the, the gossip around the water cooler. Not to cheat on your, your taxes or, or your uh, your expense reports or or to only work hard when your boss is around, or to use your retirement for ungodly things. Whatever it is, it's so easy to fall back into those things. It's so hard, that daily struggle. But now we have been brought near to the Lord, and He gives us the Spirit to withstand the bonds of slavery again. He is close to you. And he will give you a way out in the moment of temptation. How did all this happen? Because we can apply these same categories to Jesus and what happened at the cross. He defeated Satan at the cross. Satan sought to put him in bondage. In fact, the world, it looked like that Satan had won, right? He was in the grave. But he was in the grave only to sow his body to be the first fruits of our resurrection as well. Satan was defeated at the cross. He still got a pretty big bite and a mighty loud bark, but he was defeated. Christ endured the peril of death. Jesus was in peril of death, and the reason was because He came to die. This was the express purpose of His journey from heaven to earth, and from earth to the cross, and the cross to the grave, and the grave to the sky. This is why He came, to die. And He died our spiritual death, right? Where, where He endured the, the uh, hell on the cross, the wrath of God. He endured what we are in peril of, spiritual death, so that we might be made alive together with Christ. We've been set free. We've been delivered. He broke the bonds of our bondage to sin. At the cross, not only the guilt, but also the bonds of our sin were broken. Why? Because He was cut off. Moses cut off from his family. Israel cut off from land of promise. We cut off from God. All this healed. Why? Because the Son... And his human nature was separated from God the Father. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? In some divine mystery. I don't know how it worked. So that we might be redeemed. My friends, have you been set free? If not, come to Jesus. He offers you freedom. My friends, have you been set free? And are you experiencing freedom in your life? If you're struggling with bondage to your past We all do, okay? We all have a past. Do you need to hear that this morning? We all have a past. We all have things we're not proud of. We all have wounds from the past. And we need to be able to make peace with our past. If you're living in bondage to your past, you're not alone. Satan would have you think you are, but you're not. He wants you to live in bondage again. He likes you living in bondage to your past. What can you do about it? You've been set free from it. But if you're not experiencing it, I want to tell you something. Come and talk to somebody. Talk to a beloved brother and sister in Christ of the same gender, someone who is more mature than you. Come talk to your pastor. Come talk to a counselor. Because God, in His wonderful wisdom, has made it so that when we talk about these things, He brings healing through that process. If you're struggling with bondage to some sort of sin, if you're not experiencing that freedom, I encourage you, I call you to repentance today. To seek the Lord and His people to help you. We can't do it alone. That's why we have each other. That's why we have each other. Come. Find help. If you're struggling with believing that you're loved, the way you will find freedom is by seeking Jesus in His Word and in prayer and in His church. But to all of us, I would say, for every one look we look at ourselves, give ten more to Jesus. Because this is where our freedom is found. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that we are free. and Help us, Lord, to live as those who are free. That we might lay aside every weight, every sin that clings so closely to us. That we might run the race that has been set before us. And bring honor and glory to you. I pray all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.